folks, a very warm welcome to our latest Generation podcast, the podcast where we talk about mission from a Scottish uh, perspective. We always say that it's a mission, uh, that it's a podcast where we don't have celebrities, and that's absolutely true. <clears throat> and today is uh, no, no exception. I've got here um, my ex-friend, Mez McConnell, and I'm very pleased to, to welcome Mez. Good to see you. Well, it's not very good to see you because I don't really like you very much, so... <laughs> Okay, I love you. What's the difference between loving and liking? You have to like someone to love them. I think it helps, right? Particularly if it's yeah. your wife. That's that's always helpful. Uh, absolutely. So well, Jesus says, "Love your enemies," right? So you don't have to like them to love them. Okay, so you you run a thing called uh, Twenty Schemes, and also uh, I think church in hard places. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, right. Uh, I want to talk just about about mission stuff, communication, um, misunderstandings, a lot of stuff. We'll talk for about 35, 40 minutes. Number one, uh, not a lot of people know that you were once a missionary in Brazil, right? Yes. So I am really interested to see whether you see a difference in where you are now and where you were in Brazil in terms of missional principles so what i want to know is do you do you have exactly the same approach in scottish schemes as you had in, in brazil that's a good question actually um i think there are there are similarities between um scottish favelas and uh, brazilian favelas and scottish housing schemes which most people probably find surprising given that absolute poverty of a, of a favela compared to the relative richness of a, of a housing scheme. But I mean, in terms of the people, how they think, how they uh, relate to the rest of the world, how they understand God and how they receive the gospel, there's remarkable similarities. Um, in terms of how I do mission, I don't think I changed that much. Uh, Okay, here's my thing. My thesis is, rightly or wrongly, that I don't think there's any difference to the way you do mission anywhere in the world, whether it's Brazil, you know, Zambia, Buenos Aires, you know, Easter House. Depends what you mean by the phrase, to do mission. Yeah, okay. If you so mean to preach the gospel, there's absolutely no difference, is that at all? You preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're talking about there are still some hurdles to overcome, which are probably going to be cultural in every context. Uh, and so you do mission in the sense of understanding a people and a culture differently in that respect, but um, how you engage with people differs. But yeah, yeah. It depends how you di- how, what you mean by doing mission. Yeah, I mean, in other words, you, you learn the language, you contextualize, you build bridges, you understand the culture. Yeah, it's just a, the- I agree. The same principles apply everywhere, right? Excellent. I think what confuses Scottish people is they don't think they don't think a, 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 a person living in a Scottish person living in Morningside doesn't quite understand it, or Christian. Let's say a Christian worshiping in Morningside doesn't quite. I don't think fully appreciate the cultural chasm between them, where they live, and a housing scheme two miles down the road. That's what I think the issue is. Um, 
So you're probably closer to a Brazilian favela than a in 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 Nidri than you are probably to a middle class church in Morningside. What would the similarities be? For a poverty sense of community? What else? Yeah, poverty sense of community, supernaturalistic worldview. But you know, I, I read a lot of stuff obviously on church planting and uh, lots of talk about postmodern Europe and you know intellectual sort of atheism etc very very rarely will you find that in well you won't find it really in south america seriously among the poor and you won't find it in the housing schemes of scotland largely that's a very very middle class westernized rich richer take on the world um that but i think a lot of these guys who do a lot do talk about church planting and talk about all sorts of stuff they miss the poor because i don't think they understand them Right, here's a, a really quick, good question. I had a conversation with a guy the other day, and folk use this expression, Jesus had a bias towards the poor. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, let's talk about that. What do you think? Agree, disagree? Um, I disagree, and I agree. <laughs> okay, unpack that. I'm just, I'm just writing a book on this, by the way, actually, now, uh, on the poor in Scotland. Um, look, yeah, we're back to words again, aren't we? What do you mean by the poor? Jesus had a bias to the poor uh, in terms of he left the glories and riches of heaven to uh, come to a crap hole in uh, in Israel, and, and and he's born to poor parents and lives a relatively working class lifestyle until he um, you know begins his ministry, um, and in that sense. Um, yeah, Jesus' bent was for the poor of the world who were lost. So there's, there's spiritual poverty. And in that sense, Jesus has got a bent towards the spiritually poor. Does he have a bent towards the economically poor? I would say he definitely had a bent, has a bent towards the poor uh, and the most vulnerable of society, those on the fringes. Definitely God is very clear about that, Micah 6, 8, right? Uh, well, you read, pick, pick an Old Testament prophet. Uh, uh, and you'll see about uh, God requires what righteousness and justice, righteousness and justice. Always justice comes with righteousness. So, um, yeah. But um, does he favour the poor over the rich? Mm, that's where I get. That's where I would hesitate to agree, and I hesitate to agree because that that statement Jesus favours the poor is very very tied into um, liberation theology, which itself originated in South America, right? So okay. I just you, be careful with words is all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, would you diss the whole of liberation theology or like many things has got a point? I would diss it. I would diss it principally because they interpret the Bible in light of social problems and their conclusions, therefore, are often very wrong, whereas their points they're trying to make are correct. But if they interpreted the social problems in light of the Bible, you'd find they'd be on far stronger ground. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're kind of thinking out loud about this stuff just now, and uh, there may be a book in the next few months, years, yeah? Book in the next 12 months, hopefully, yeah. We just spent four years researching every housing state in the UK. Good. Excellent. 38,000 of them. How many? 38,000. 
38,000 estates. Correct. Wow. In the UK? Yeah. That's, that's, I was going to say unbelievable, but uh, you said it, so it's eminently believable. Well, an estate can be anywhere from a group of 2,000 people to 20,000 people. Yeah, yeah. So. Interesting. <clears throat> what I want to talk about now is uh, one of the things that's distinctive of your ministry is um, gospel ministry, you don't compromise. I've noticed that you're starting in Nidri a new initiative called Retrain. Yeah. Is this a change in emphasis? Are you guys now going all diaconal and mercy ministry and social justice? Um, tell me the story about, about Retrain and where does this fit in in your wider philosophy? So our philosophy is basically this, the best mercy ministry is a healthy local church. Simple as that. Uh, and so what we've discovered, um, as we've obviously, we've write 10 works now across five cities and we're about to launch another three churches in Glasgow in the next six months. And so what we've noticed is um, as people are being converted, largely or large numbers of them not all who have been converted are never finished high school what we would call being long-term unemployed or never really held down jobs and so we run it we've we've run into what we call discipleship crisis so we're discipling people and one of the ways in which we're discipling people is when they're saved god has saved them to serve he has not saved them to continue living the lifestyle they live blagging off the dole and you know what i mean messing about the man doesn't work he what he shouldn't eat and so um one of the things we said is you've got to work and so what, what we run we run something called ragged school theology which i'm sure you know about and we disciple and train people with and, and and that has two strands the ragged school we're training and trying to train and develop the next generation of women workers and gospel workers and planters for housing estates in scotland but secondly we realize that the majority of people who come through our discipleship we'll have to go back into the workplace and find some sort of job largely low skilled given their lack of qualifications um and so we wanted to provide um a means by which we can continue discipling and preparing people by offering um employment to them helping them start up new businesses um, and equipping them to be christians in the workplace so it fits into our it's not a shift toward uh, mercy it's uh well you can call it that if you like but i understand that's not when people say that they're not meaning that uh, to uh okay. mean that to denigrate the ministry what we're saying is it's just a um expansion of, of our discipleship uh, and so yeah so we're, we're aiming to start and these are very small businesses we, we've just bought a cafe in Trinent and the people we're employing there have all been saved out of addictions or prison um we we are helping a young uh, a, a young single mother with a cleaning business um so they're very we're starting you know we're removal companies these are low skilled employment opportunities um that we're offering but it's meaningful work that brings honor to god as they do it for the glory of the lord so that's how we see it right and the stuff of the cafe and the removal business how would you help would you give 
funding? Would you give uh, loans? Um, yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, so we raise about quarter of a million capital fund, and we've got the backing of uh, a, a Christian businessman who has provided us with free. Uh, well, he's paid for it, but free to us legal advice to set this up as a Christian uh, charity. Again, it's a part of the ministry of Nidri Community Church under the, the direction of its elders. So everything is, if you like, it's a ministry of the church. It's not a ministry separate to the church, uh, which is not how mercy ministries usually act. Um, and we will, yeah, people will get training. Um, if they want to, let's say they apply, they want to apply for a job, they go through the usual means. If they want to apply to set up a small business or do something, then they just apply to us. We interview them. We offer them training in the basics, starting up a small business, invoicing accounts, money. We 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 help them. We give them all the financial structure, even supply them with an accountant. And then over a three to five year period, just sort of nurse them through the um, initial stages. And so, right. yeah. It sounds a lot like, uh, I'm sure you've read, is it Brian Fickert's book, When Helping Hearts? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. This sounds really aligned with that kind of philosophy, which <coughs> is, is, is kind of countercultural, isn't it? It's really difficult because our instinct is, is, is to give money. So, yeah. What's your take on When Helping Hearts? Yeah, so when, yeah, I mean, Brian Fickert wrote the. F- forward for my book church in our places and so i know brian we have a few differences um he would be less i'm I'm very firm on mercy ministry should be the local church should be at the heart of everything where he's he'd be more independent organizations we're more aligned actually to a guy called bob lupton who's in atlanta have you ever read anything by him no i have not tell me about bob lupton should google him and he works in really, really rough downtown Atlanta and has set up a lot of projects, bought houses uh, in the community, um, set up small businesses. He believes like we do, uh, like we, 20 Schemes, that um, Mercy Ministry as is um, done in Western countries and particularly in the UK is just wrong and um that we shouldn't just be giving people things away for free we should be looking at ways in which um we can help people in in a crisis but if we continue to just help keep people in crisis mode they'll never grow for themselves Uh, and so uh yeah we follow quite a lot of um a lot of his principles so we're about you know we want to help people at the moment of deepest need but we don't want to keep them in it by giving them stuff we want to say look god has saved you he saved you for a purpose and regardless of whether that purpose is cleaning the toilets or running your own business you need to be doing it for the glory of the lord so that's what we're about right so is that one of the reasons why you guys don't do food banks it's not particularly high up in, in your agenda yeah i mean yeah i mean we do do food banks. We just don't do food banks the way food banks are done in a normal middle-class church. Okay, right. That sounds interesting. What's the difference between the way you do them and the way... Most food them? banks, people go in, blah, blah, blah. How are you? Whatever. Here's a bag of food. Maybe you have a chat. Off you go. Um, we, um, we 
we we just started operating a, a new system. Um, so let, let me explain the difference. So in the in the pandemic, when the community was locked down, one of the biggest groups to suffer in our community were kids, children, and it was children who had um, been going into the schools early in the morning and been able to get a breakfast because they weren't being fed at home. Once the school shut down, kids were hungry, and so we gave out. At the height of the pandemic, I think we were giving out about 600 food parcels a week in our community, three meals a day, et cetera, for the families of some of these, a lot of these children. But we were giving that away. No problems. That's relief, right? There's a situation. Once the doors open and things continued, we, we, we um, withdrew that relief. But we've just, we've, we've got like a thing that happens in our Nidri Cafe twice a week. It looks like a food bank and smells like a food bank, but it's not a food bank. So we have a deal with like Marks and Spencers and a couple of other supermarkets nearby who give us their, give us free stuff. And then we sell it um, on uh, like knockdown, super knockdown prices. But the point is that people are paying for it. Now, if someone comes in and they're in desperate, dire need and it's our first meeting with them, we'll obviously bag them up something and, and help them out, but we won't continue to do that because that just perpetuates um, what we think is bad and unhelpful habits. And so we do do these things, but um, we do them as a first point of crisis relief. We don't we don't recommend, as some churches do, that we're giving the same people handouts week after week, month after month, year after year. Right. Let me talk about something else, paradoxes, complications, lack of simplicity. Life is not simple. So just as you know, we're talking about the bias to the poor, you say, yeah, maybe he's I, maybe he's not. Um, in the same breath, church and parachurch, okay? Yeah. You are a big church guy. That's your thing, church. Well, can I just be clear? So was Jesus. He sort of died for the church. Just to be, you know. He was a big church guy too. Okay. okay. So you, and, you and Jesus. Yeah. Mark, Mark Dever didn't. In, Mark Dever didn't. In you know, invent the local church. Yeah, yeah. So you and Jesus are big church guys. Yeah, right? we're, good, we're, we're good on that. Okay. Now maybe here's here's maybe Jesus was perhaps not a big parachurch guy, and yet you know yeah. you're also involved in in parachurch. Um, Tell me what the thinking is between the two. Um, well, I'm not involved in parachurch, really. 20 Schemes is um, a ministry, the church planting ministry of Nidri Community Church. Everybody gets this wrong. They always think it's a separate entity to the church that we started up. No, we haven't. It's a ministry of the church overseen by the church elders and accountable to the congregation because obviously we're... Baptist congregationalist, right? Um, and um, and so um, we we have we have some relationships with certain parachurches, parachurch organisations, which I think are necessary and helpful. Other parachurch institutions we avoid because I don't think they're helpful at all. Okay, so it's a ministry, I like this, it's a ministry of Nidri Community Church. Yes. But you have a network with yes. all these other churches, like in Bingham, 
like yeah. grace mount yeah like your presbyterian boys <laughs> you, you, I, I don't know if you play chess but you see where i'm going here so you, I've, I've got it, i've had it all over the years i know where the questions are leading let's go <laughs> so so you've, you've established a presbytery there that, that, that's a that's a great movement that's a really yeah i haven't movement. established a presbytery and i'll tell you how i haven't established a presbytery because we're a loose affiliation. So the 20 Schemes guys at 20 Schemes churches, they're just, so your, your Presbyterian guys, right, we have no control, authority, or say over how and what they do on the ground. We um, help them to raise money, help them to get interns and people. They're accountable to, your, to the, your, you know, your, and this is also, in all seriousness, you know, the Presbyterians, they're not Baptists, and also we don't interfere uh, in that sense. And so they're affiliated to us through, you know, through friendship more than any any power relationship. With uh, being a Baptist Congregationalist, the church in Bingham or Grace Mount or Dundee or wherever, uh, the ones that are established, they're independent um, churches with their own elders and leadership. And again, I have no say. I don't speak in their churches. I don't have any authority i mean over their lives they can ring me they can ask for advice i raise money for them etc um and so uh, it, 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 in that sense it's probably looser than people think because people often said well you're just you're presbyterian and in a way i actually like presbyterianism because i think they got some things right but i'm not in the sense that i have any you know if if a, if a moral issue was to happen with one of the the, the 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 leaders of our churches i don't have any authority to come in and take control of the situation yeah um, unless that the individual concerned is an employee of 20 schemes so often we'll employ interns we pay them but we send them out yeah um, okay I, I mean I, i'm seriously not making a party political point here but would you agree that there's no such thing as a <clears throat> pure independent church as in me and my small corner in you and yours just as in the same way, I'd say that a healthy Presbyterian church has got to have a degree of, of independence. Uh, yeah, I would say, and I would agree with Presbyterianism here, I would say that there is, my position would be independent, but interdependent. And, and that's, I like that. And that's how I would see my relationship. Our relationship is nidri with the rest of the guys. Uh, and we try not to be party. I'm a, listen, I'm a Baptist. I want to plant Baptist churches, right? But I want to help independent evangelicals, brethren, Presbyterians, gospel men and women will support it. We had a Baptist guy just gave one of your guys a hundred grand. Did you know that? Yeah, I know that. Uh, you know, Thank I mean, you. well, not that me. He gave it. I would have told him to give it to someone else. I wouldn't really. I wouldn't really. But um, <laughs> and so again, what happened? That money came in, the guy gave it to us, we gave it to your guy and we stepped back. How he spends that, you, you know, there's no authority there. It's just, praise the Lord, be blessed. Yeah. Let us know how you get on. So, yeah, so I think, I, I'm a, I think we're independent, but interdependent. That's great. I mean, whereas we are interdependent, but independent. So Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, let me talk a, a little bit about tribalism in Scotland. This has really concerned me because I, I am, one of my besetting sins is that I'm quite tribal um, and it's really bad and, and I, need, I need to deal with it. Uh, 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm seeing that in, in Scotland. There's a lot of tribalism. There's a lot of egos in the room. There's a lot of just differences. Is, is that a fact? Uh, how can we how can we break that down? And paradoxically, how can how can we we run with it? Because it's it's good that we're different. Mm-hmm. Look. Tribalism isn't um, isn't Scottish Scottish only sin, is it? Um, generally, UK reformed evangelicals, particularly, um, are very tribal. Um, we are we for some unknown reason, and, and I still don't know why, but we seem to have crossed like um, a lot of these tribes. It's interesting, my last book, which I wrote on child abuse, and um, we had guys who were super right-wing, um, particular Baptists and Presbyterians down the other end and some charismatic dudes and everybody in between. So it, 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 it's fascinating that we seem to have crossed some of the... We haven't done it on purpose. Um, we just try to keep um, the gospel centre to the whole thing. I haven't got any answers to tribalism. Um, I've been in Scotland, this is my 14th year, and um, most of my friends are Presbyterian dudes. I, I, I run with those boys, they're my pals. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure how to answer that question. So. Okay. Again, interesting, but how, I mean, how's, how's the work going? You know, church and hard places, the, the, the clue is in the name. Um, yes, the church in our place. Here's what happened. I started 20 Schemes seven years ago through much Scottish indifference. That's a, you lot are miserable, by the way. Uh, that, is a, that is a real cultural point, by the way. You go to Scotland, they're like, yeah, brother, how can we help you? You go to Scotland and they're like, that'll never work. Useless. Um, we, started, we started it seven years ago. And then what, what I found was we had a growing... Um, audience we're, we're you know we're quite young and so we've got quite a good sort of multimedia online presence hundreds of thousands of, of followers and, and we were getting emails from people in australia china even south america saying will you come to our country and do 20 schemes here and my response was no i won't um 20 schemes is definitively singularly focused on Scotland. I have no interest in anything but Scottish housing estates. We're about gospel churches for Scotland's poorest. That's it. And uh, and then I was approached by a couple of people, Acts 29, who said, look, we suck at this. We suck at what? Reaching the poor. We're just planting in university, the usual stuff, universities, business areas, people with money. Um, is there something you can you can help us with? And then, I mean, we thought about it over a lot of years. I didn't want to be distracted from Scotland. And so I sort of began the Ch- Church in Hard Places initiative, which is basically helping Acts 29 to finance, train, and help young church planters in the poorest communities around the world to get some theological training because most are poorly taught, if not taught at all, and to be able to join a, a network of churches who had money who would be able to 
encourage them financially. And so we started off with like eight, eight men about three years ago, four years ago. I think we're currently training 400 men in 30 something countries. So, um, so that's, you know, that's doing really well. I, I basically one or two days a week of my time is taken up with that. Um, sometimes I'll go and, and, um, speak at a place but we've generally trained a leader in each of those countries and those leaders are now multiplying so um, and so but i that's just to keep my focus was i want to keep 20 schemes scotland yeah i think it's i mean i often say and my friends at least my one friend i've got left laughs and says you know he like you we don't do England, you know. We don't yeah, do yeah. England. And that's not, I mean, I like English folk. Um, I mean, you've got a bit of English in you. Uh, I, I, no English in me. There's no English in me. Don't yeah, do that. An English mindset, you know. You've, you've been living down there. You, you, not you a think, chance. Yeah. No chance. Yeah, yeah. Now I really don't like you. Now we're taking a dark turn. Oh, you're, you're, in, you're in denial here. You're in denial. Not an um, English wife. <laughs> um an interesting question, the point there is it's good to focus, you know, focus is good and that's one of the things that, that you've definitely got. I want to ask you a question, it's about guys who are in the ministry of the word, I suppose girls who are in, in other ministries, <clears throat> do you have to be a working class scheme guy to work in the schemes or can so-called posh people work in the schemes no you don't have to be good so what's what, what do you need i guess a love for people is there you know yeah. you know could someone with a, a, a boris johnson accent minister in a scheme yeah what was paul he was a paul Polish boy rich he, Polish Jew, boy. he was a jew of jews massively highly educated ends up having a massive ministry too largely uneducated slaves and Gentiles. So the cultural jumps can be made when the spirit of the Lord is upon you, right? If the Lord has called you to, but my, my, my issue has never been with middle-class people being unable to relate to us. My issue is they don't want to. They're ignoring the schemes. They're scared of the schemes. They're, they're living a lifestyle, generally middle-class Christians of Let's get Felicity, you know, have a little baby Felicity. We'll have a little nice house. We'll move to a bigger house. We'll make sure she gets a university education. And they're always about moving up and moving on. And they're leaving behind a whole 45% of the Scottish population lives in housing schemes. And my point has never been you can't reach them. My point is why are you not reaching them? It is a crime. Yeah. Good point. Uh, apologies to anyone out there with a daughter called Felicity, but if... I've got friends with a daughter called Felicity. So yeah, I, I, I'm just thinking that if you do have a daughter called Felicity and if you are considering ministry in the scheme, <laughs> well, this is... This is you won't make much, it. You won't make it if your daughter's called Felicity. No, the, this is pretty much direct revelation that, that you've got to go and, and, and do it. Um, I, I, was going to, I was going to say something there that is really interesting. I was going to ask a question. I was going to turn the whole ministry, but it, it's gone out of, of my mind. Um, totally. <clears throat> I mean, one of the things, one of the, the many things that impresses me about you uh, is that you've got reach. You've got intellectual reach. You, 
you know, you can go up, you can go down intellectually. Uh, I think you could probably have a conversation with Sinclair B. Ferguson. I think you could also have a conversation with we we Malky, who's in Methadone. So what uh, we're saying is Sinclair being the low down dude, we Malky being the intellectual. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it could be that way. I mean, I've done a I've done a gig with Sinclair. So 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 you can talk to to SBF. You can talk to to we Malky. Is that something that just come, or is it something that you developed? Well, I grew up, as you know, I grew up on the schemes, and I didn't grow up in working class family. I grew up at the bottom level, the bottom feeders. Uh, you know, the guys who never work, don't want to work. Uh, you know, suffered. Well, whatever, that's irrelevant. But I grew up I grew up there. Then when I got converted, the entire culture of the church is middle class. And so if I'm one thing, I'm adaptable. And very quickly, I learned <coughs> these are different people here. Yeah. They talk differently. They live differently. They view the world differently. And so it was, in some ways, assimilate uh, and survive or don't and on your way and so i've learned you know i'm either a nice middle class girl there's lots of good things about everybody thinks i hate middle class people and i don't there's loads of good things more good things than bad things um i i you know i learned to i was quite re, i was quite intelligent anyway i you know i read books and when i got my degrees i had to go to middle class institutions to to get them taught by middle class people how to understand the bible and apply it in a middle class way and so i learned that through the majority culture of the church but then ironically when i got through all that having to unlearn it you know and go back to my roots again because i almost almost fell into the trap that lots of guys do when they escape schemes of i'm never going back i'm going to a middle class church i'll stay there earn you know decent money raise raise a family but yeah because i guess you are culturally bilingual yeah, and I think going to Brazil helped a lot. Um, I always say to guys, I wish, I, I, I think our training institution should send people um, into cross-cultural situations. I've tried this before. It's not got off the ground yet where I've said to guys like like Neil in Morningside and that we, we've talked about this. Like, why don't you send me one of your, you know, middle-class guys who are in interns, send them over to me for three months and I'll send you one of my guys because they'll be a fish out of water. And actually, even through the struggles, I think both people would grow, um, yeah. you know, uh, and, and, and uh, be able to, I, to I adapt. I absolutely agree. I just remembered what I was going to ask you about. Now, you know, folk talk about schemes and it's, it's, it's so broad, it's almost meaningless, you know, because yeah. there's schemes and there's, there's schemes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was raised in a scheme, but it was very different scheme to the scheme that you were raised in. The the point being, even in schemes, you know, not everybody is, is unemployed. Not everybody no. has got addiction problems. No. You know, there's, it's a bit like Africa, you know, constantly stigmatising. It's a bit yeah. like schemes. I mean, there's guys in a scheme and girls who are earning as much money as a teacher. So this is, the, this is the point I make in the book. Actually, I break down who lives on schemes. One of the chapters is who lives on schemes. And how do these different individuals view the world? Um, and so, yeah, so many. I mean, you, you, your traditional, old, what I call the old school working class guard, real, real working class. They all miners. You know, you know, back in the day, in the sixties and seventies, these guys are now 
retired and, uh, and dying out. Those guys are avid readers, super intelligent dudes who, um, you know, have got a finger on the pulse and, 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 and a super bright and a very different to the, what I call, what is called the modern working class. Um, you know, the plumber, the, the, the jobbing builder, uh, et cetera, who don't really read books um, aren't really don't really have a political interest in anything and see the world in a whole different way to the immigrant to the middle class guy family who've just moved in because it's been gentrified to the drug dealer to the local entrepreneur who actually makes more money than everybody to you know to the guy the the, the young single mom working three jobs to keep her kids right to the feckless drug addicts to the all the way and so yeah well you know there's seven eight different classes if you like yeah of, of people what annoys me is that everybody assumes that schemes ministry is to the feckless drug addict yeah uh, they forget that on the street there might be a plumber there might be a joiner there might exactly. be you know guys exactly. in 30 40k a year earning as much as a teacher yeah, yeah. so and poverty is not about money it's another point i make in the book it's not about it's got really very little to do with money right I'm going to buy this book. Hope good. <laughs> I'm going to buy this book. I've You'll be offended like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I've got all your books. I admire your, your work, as as they say. Um, yeah, just one. So, so a church is not inconceivable that a church in a scheme could be financially independent. Yeah. Would you say most of them could be or some of them could be? I'd say most of them could be. And I would also add the caveat that there's no biblical imperative that you have to be. Okay. What are the pros and what are the cons of being financially self-sufficient? Um, the pros are it's dead good. <laughs> uh, the cons are of not being or of being. What are the cons of being financially self-sufficient, are you saying to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's very many cons of being financially self-sufficient. Here's what I say to my guys. I, I Listen, some of the planters, uh, Nidri's financially self-sufficient, okay? Um, and I think a couple of the other ones are. Um, but those that aren't are under no pressure to become so because, uh, you know, the, the schemes, are, a Glasgow scheme is massively different than an Edinburgh one. Um, and in many ways, the Glasgow schemes are the poorest. Um, and so we don't, you know, uh, part of what I do for my people, as you know, is, I mean, I'm, I'm an international beggar. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. I beg money to pay, get, get, get finances to our men and women so they can get on, on with ministry. And I don't see, um, you can say, you know, the, the, the cons are where you're keeping people Churches financially dependent on outside sources, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't really see that as a con in the Bible. We're financially dependent on God's people. How is that a con? Whether they come from, you know, Wester Hales or whether they come from West Africa. It's the Lord's money. The Lord owns a cat on a thousand hills. And he is ensuring all, all, all we are doing is um funneling it to the right places was a story there was a funny little 
quip about, I think it was Dale Moody. It was said about Dale Moody that tens of millions of dollars passed through his hands and none of it stuck to them. Right. And that's how I, that's how I feel about 20 schemes. You know, mm-hmm. I'll get, you know, that 100K for your guys. I'll get that. I'll get that. Well, you know, just keep it. So, you know, th- th- I know there's all sorts of, you know, I mean, I, I, my first degree is in missiology. I understand the the whole uh, concept behind it, 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 financial independency, et cetera. But I'm, I'm not, I'm convinced it's, it's almost a middle class, or at least a construct from sort of richer Western mindsets. We've got to be independent. We've got to have this. And I'm just not convinced by it. Yeah, I think it is complex. I mean, I'm somewhat ambivalent in our stuff that we do in Africa, stuff that we do in Latin America. We're saying to these churches, you've listened, guys, we're not the colonialists. We, you know, we're not a bank. You've got to take your own, take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like you, you know, I'm also an international beggar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we receive very generous help, especially mm-hmm. from from the USA. So that's been double-minded. But what? Yeah, and my question is, why aren't you the bank? Why? Why can't you be the bank? I don't think there's a problem in, in being the bank uh, if there's a good relation, if there's an honest relationship with a client. Uh, if the client sees me, uh, sees our church as a charity, that's very, very different. But yeah. if it's a bank in terms of it wants capital to, to grow, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's fine. But if it doesn't do any work of its own, I don't think yeah. any bank would put up with that. No, and, and that goes back to my principle of mercy ministry. <laughs> can't just give freebies yeah. but um you know but yeah it, it, it is complex in some ways i think it's um simply you know, there's the, the, you know it's the age-old story that often western missionaries will say um you know we um we've got to get these guys financially independent uh, 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 as uh, as quickly as possible and away from us. But sometimes it just, it, it, it just isn't easy as that. Other times I've had a conversation with um, people saying, well, you know, we can't just be giving our money into poor scenarios because we don't know how people are using it. Are they using it well? Are they not using it well? And they're all legitimate questions. I do quite find it slightly ironic when a guy from an American church with 3,000 members who's just blown $30,000 on bringing his youth group over to see some poor people, then becomes, um, starts becoming super tight when he's asked to donate $300 a month to help a poor pastor in, in South America. So there's, you know, yeah. you have to take, my, my, my situation with that is, the principle is, I think it's a decent principle, financial independency, but I don't think it's a principle we need to cripple our people with. And therefore we take each person on their merit. You know. Good issue. Our time is coming to an end, Mez. Uh, I think I could I could talk for hours with, with you and hopefully. I feel, like, I feel like I like you more now than when we started. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a likable guy. I mean, we're, we're both similar in that we both look miserable, 
but we're probably quite happy people under it. No, I'm miserable. No, no, you no. Know, there's a there's a glint of of joy occasionally rises to the surface once every few hours. Well, there was a glint of joy yesterday when I saw that second Czechoslovakian goal. There was a glint of joy then. Mez McConnell. <laughs> there was just to be clear to everybody, there wasn't. I support Scotland, not England. Thank you. <laughs> Generation dudes, thank you. And dudes, I'm talking like like Mez now. I'm sounding so phony. Guys, it is really good. Thank you for joining us. And we hope that you will join in the next generation podcast. We hope that we'll have Mez back again. It's taken three attempts to get him here. He's he's a busy man. He's he's I had to pay a lot of money to his agents. But we got here. And uh, I'm interested in that new book. When it comes out, we'll get them back. We'll talk about that. Thanks for the book you did in Abuse. Really useful. A lot of folk will, will find that helpful. Hard Places book. Great book. Your own biography. Autobiography. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.